0: Hi there, it's Andrew here for another episode of um, Learning Church from the Word. This is the last of the studies. We're in study number eight um, and this is the last podcast. Uh, counter-cultural church practices is what we have to deal with today. Um, having gone through the whole of the series, I hope you've, you've found them helpful if you've, you've listened in. Um, I, I realised there was a number of issues that really we didn't deal with that deserve to be dealt with, need to be dealt with um, uh, at this time. Um, and it's really important as believers that we know we only have to be countercultural, where the culture contradicts the word of God. So this is a wonderful thing about Christianity, that it can flourish in many different cultures. If you uh, were to look at a map of how Christianity spreads over the globe, You will find it in North and South America. You will find it in Europe. You will find it in Australia. You will find it um, obviously um, linked very much to the kind of Western world. Um, Now, that's not a surprise, to be honest, because the Western world um, is founded upon Judeo-Christian values. That's why the West has spread so, um, and it's been so effective in many ways. Um, But... You will also find uh, large pockets of Christians uh, in in parts of the world that you would not expect to find them. So South Korea, uh, North Korea as well, uh, they tell me. Uh, China now, a a large group of Christians there and growing. Uh, And and so whereas if you were to look at Hinduism, it would be very much focused around India, obviously. Um, Even Islam is mainly focused around the kind of... um, Arabic countries and is spreading a bit now into Europe and so on but it, it's spread is different than Christianity in the sense it's not so widespread now that makes perfect sense because with um, a lot of these religions comes a culture um, and the culture and religion are very closely intertwined whereas with Christianity if something in the culture is not against God against the Bible it is perfectly acceptable for a Christian to still live in their culture um, in their cultural norms, as it were, um, as long as they remember to take the word of God as the ground of what they're um, going to believe. So um, I, I've put something... <coughs> <coughs> my apologies, my cold, still not quite away. i put something like this in the introduction to the, the worksheet, and, and I trust you have that in front of you, because it will really help as we go through um this this study and we had the study a few weeks ago now it was really good to see some folks that haven't been there for a long time that they don't live here now um sol and alice were with us it was great to see them um some some normal folks back with us and the discussion was very interesting and i trust it was a blessing for everybody um now just coming back to the passage and that we will be looking at the passages we will be looking at today um I just want to say that what I want to do is um, take up two particular subjects, two particular um, of many other subjects that could be mentioned, I suppose, but two that really are important, I think. And one is the ministry roles of women in the local church, and two is discipline in the local church. Now, both these issues are, in the Western culture, uh, under attack. In, in many different ways, uh, even among evangelical churches, if you want to use that term more broadly, uh, evangelical churches, including evangelical denominations and independents, they will, um, in many ways, um, undercut some of these vital things if they're not careful to stick by the Word of God. Now, Paul speaking to Titus, I put this in the uh, introduction. Um, who was contru- confronting the Cretan false teachers um, he he speaks to uh, Titus and he brings something home to us that we need to understand um, he says in Titus chapter 1 verse 12 to 14 one of them a prophet of their own says Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who have turned from the truth. Okay, so there's a particular setting for those words. But what I want us to understand is this. The the word of God speaks to that culture and says you you must rebuke them sharply, that they be sound in the faith. So the culture doesn't speak to the word, the word of God speaks to the culture. A culture doesn't force us to reinterpret the scriptures to suit the culture. No, no, we have to alter our lives to suit the scriptures despite what culture we come from. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a, a close examination that what we're thinking is what the Bible says is what it really says. But what I'm saying is once we have come to a, an unbiased, with the help of God, understanding of what the Bible is actually saying in a passage... Despite what the culture is saying around us, uh, we then have to hold on to that and, and move against the culture and swim against the stream. Now, that's never easy for us. And I think particularly hard for younger folk um, who are have the culture in their face all the time, whether it be through uh, the, the social media or through in- engagement with other young folk in college or university or school or wherever it's it's always just a bit more difficult when you're finding your feet to deal with cultural abnormalities if you like um but as long as we keep in mind that we only have to be counter-cultural the only battles we should fight is is on the basis of what says the scriptures we we don't need to be counter-cultural if it's something that is not supported by scripture and so that's why it's important to come to the word of God, even when it comes to church practices. So we've already navigated a number of issues that are very counter as we would expect. I mean, for instance, study one, we dealt with what we believe. Um, you know, it's important, our belief system, we're trusting in the Lord, the Lord's our foundation. Well, this culture doesn't believe in the Lord, it might paint him as a good man or it might even paint him as a deceiver. It might paint him as not having even existed. Whatever way out there paints the Lord Jesus, that is not the way we do. And so therefore, we we are countercultural already. Uh, we we have his authority, his words with us, and we cling to those words, and we we believe in him, and we trust in him. So that makes us countercultural. Um, attitude to the Bible, we're countercultural there, aren't we? I mean (laughs) there's not too many people that think the Bible is the authoritative word of God and so it's good actually in these counter-cultural issues to just have maybe a short statement that we can say to someone if they they ask about us so so if somebody says to you um you know what, what do you folk believe about x y and z turn them to what the Lord Jesus said or turn them to what the Bible said. You know, say, say to them something like, well, well, the Lord Jesus who I follow, the one who I've trusted, he said this about that issue? Or or the Bible say this and, and I try to follow the Bible. Now, you don't need to try and come across as arrogant at that point. You don't want to say, you know, I follow the Bible and nobody else does. You don't need to come across like that. But what you do need to do is be, firm in the fact that you are trying to practice what the Word of God teaches and also that you completely implicitly trust the Lord Jesus and that you believe the Word of God to be true. And if they say, well, why do you believe it? Have a good reasoned defence of why you believe the Word of God is true. Paul Macaulay's book, Prove It, is excellent for that. Even if you just want to sum it up and try to get the five, the four letters that he has Take in and take two or three of them and learn them well and maybe know a few wee bit about the prophecies that are fulfilled in the Old and New Testament. Turn people to them. It's surprising how people can go away with a changed attitude to the word of God. So anyway, attitude to the Bible, study two, was, was very much counter-culture. What about holiness, study three? <laughs> well, we don't live in a... We live in a very promiscuous world. We live in a world where people feel it's okay to... To, to have partners um uh, whether they be male or female um they, 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 they find it's okay in fact they would think you had you were a dinosaur it had three heads if you said it otherwise so we're very different in the area of of mor- morality and holiness and sexual holiness and so on um and so we are very countercultural um don't be ashamed of those things. Um another thing I would say if you're dealing with countercultural issues such as holiness again be careful how you present it to people. Um people come with a whole lot of baggage. They perhaps someone has um said something nasty to them or perhaps they've only got a skewed idea of what Christians believe. For instance, a, a, a girl came to me on one occasion and he said and she said to me, oh, so you're not allowed to sleep with people before you're married. Now, that's a wrong perspective. Do you understand why that's wrong? Um, You might say, well, you're not allowed. But the point is she put a wrong emphasis there. The reason why I didn't uh, do that, which is is because I want to follow the Lord Jesus. Um, I want to follow the word of God. It's not a matter of allowment, like I'm being restrained from doing it because I'm following some kind of external code it's because I love the Lord I want to do it um, the other thing to remember is that you can really teach them that things like um, human sexuality because we're on the topic it's a sacred thing it's a beautiful thing it's something that God has kept for the most close relationship on earth he's put all sorts of fences around it he has protected it so that people are not hurt and so it's within a monog- monogamous relationship between a man and a woman in in the marriage bond who have committed themselves to each other in marriage that that is what, what that is for it, it is for um the enjoyment of the other of kind of relationship so so i'm just saying there's ways and means to think clearly through these issues in a way that you're not dishonoring the lord nor are you giving a kind of harsh um view of of things which are which are a juxtaposition to what they actually believe okay so what you can do is you can say listen you're right you're right i don't believe that it's that it's either healthy or wise to be involved in x y or z um however you know god's plan was and this is why this is a good thing whatever okay anyway i kind of got sidetracked into this displayed headship study 4 this is one of the harder ones because even among christians there's very little uh, emphasis on displayed headship first corinthians 11 um not the well many many godly christian people will say that they still believe in the the biblical rules of man and women and, and they still see headship distinctions but they've have, they've have given up the symbol of that in in the head covering that is spoken of in 1st Corinthians 11 which is a pity and it's, it's it's not honorable to the lord because um i think it's very clearly and a symbol that's been given to us um that we can follow through on and um i, I think it's it's a pity when you see um, companies moving away from this it's it's against um the teachings of 1st Corinthians chapter 11 we've dealt with that um all of these are completely countercultural um, however, there are these two subjects I want to also mention. I've mentioned the ministry roles of women in the local church and discipline in the local church. So I'll take about uh, maybe 10 minutes on each. I've said that before and it's been longer. 10 minutes on each and try to sort of sum up some of the, the, the things that we learned. Um, and there are questions you'll notice on page uh, two, I think it is, um, on page three, at the bottom of each of the. Um, Page two, maybe it's page three um, yeah page two and three there are questions and page four on these issues that you can ask yourself um i won't be covering all the questions time will not permit but what we're going to do is is look firstly at the ministry role of women and um read a couple of passages that shows that paul has a complementary authoritarianism approach to these things that that there are rules that are suited for women and roles suited for men and and God has designed it that way um so we might not like that but it is for our good and our flourishing and therefore we take it um on board and should live by it and we will find it to be better for us so let's look at the ministry roles of women then for a few minutes together um, you'll notice on page number one I, I've I've got a few paragraphs on this very issue. Firstly, I, I mentioned there the third wave of feminism. You don't need to worry about the third wave of feminism if you don't want to look into these things. But uh, what we have today is really feminism maxed. Feminism gone mad. I mean, it's not the sh- suffragettes, uh, whether you agree with them or not in, the, in how they went about it. It's not. It's not the fact that you believe, for instance, that 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 you know women should have the vote, or, or women should be looked upon as second class citizens. You know these these were issues maybe at the early nineteen hundreds that that needed to be fixed in some measure. Um, but really, what has happened now that it has morphed into a completely different beast: nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties, along with um, the kind of throwing out of um, absolute tr- absolute truth. and and the pluralism in society, along with a lot of other things that that fell out of the the cupboard in the late 50s, early 60s um, in in culture. Uh, Really what they've done is conflated equality with sameness. Really, anyone that teaches the biblical truth of gender identities, as from the Bible, you know, men being men and women being men, women, And gender roles are likely to come into the crosshairs of the movers and shakers in our culture. Uh, It's just a fact. Uh, The Bible teaches very clearly that we are made in the image of God. Uh, We bear the imago Dei. That's just uh, exactly the same. It's just a Latin phrase you might come across. And what they're speaking about is the fact that as humans, we are distinct from the animal creation right about us. We find this in Genesis chapter 1. Um, that, that God has has designed us that way and we can see it the evidence of this is frighteningly obvious and what I mean by frighteningly obvious it is frightening that some people cannot see the distinctions between um, the animal creation and the rest of um, and humans it is frightening because it is like um, it's like the most obvious thing as the nose in your face I mean, you don't have chimps sitting around working out um, who should go to court. Uh, we, do, we don't have a conscience that's seen in a lion after they kill a prey. Um, we, we, we don't have them bowing down and worshipping. Uh, you don't have spiders worshipping the creator in that obvious sense. They don't have that kind of Godward spirit. They, they don't have that element of of the image of God, which which is if you like a moral and spiritual and an obvious, I mean self evident to us. We we worry about things like uh, whether we have done right or wrong. Animals don't do that. Now, despite what we look at dogs, and you know you can give a dog a clip around the ear if it does something that you think it shouldn't do. The reason why it knows not to do it again is because it hurt when. When they had a clip around the ear. It's not sitting wondering, um, you know, having a conscience about the fact that it broke your rules. It's just hoping it doesn't get clipped around the ears again. So animals are not the same as humans. We don't expect to put animals um in the court. We don't punish animals in that sense of there's a right and a wrong and you should be brought to book for your actions. Um we might put down dogs. Um, because they harm someone um but that's because they're dangerous they're dangerous to society now there's a danger that as uh, as the criminal justice system breaks down because of the kind of misunderstanding of justice now in the twenty first century uh western culture is you'll find more and more push towards that way. but as far as we're concerned, most of us understand that there are things that are absolutely right and wrong. And we also understand that animals cannot aren't moral agents, they cannot understand that. So that's just a simple way in which we understand that humans and humanness, um, as as Schaeffer would say, the mannishness of man is distinct from the rest of the creation around us. Now, we come into chapter two of Genesis, you don't only really learn that there's a distinction between man and mankind and 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 the rest of creation. What you find out is that there are roles, distinctions for the genders, okay? So man was made uh, first, and so the firstness of man is brought out. Um, males have been given a role of leadership. clearly emphasized, okay? Dad, wait yeah. until you see the house. Yeah. Wait, wait until you see I'm the house. Wait until you see the house. Sorry, I'm going to a podcast, guys. <laughs> And that was an interruption from my family, as you can tell. The whole of them descended in here very quickly. Sorry about that. <laughs> Back to where we were. Um, just saying aye. So this, these role distinctions are clearly outlined. We'll not stop at it in Genesis 2. So you go look at it in your own time. Um, now this isn't really a reflection on mental abilities or essential worth. Um. That kind of thing. It's really, I mean, it's clearly not... That, I mean, you come to the end of chapter two and, and as, as as we have Adam being presented with his wife, he, he says, she is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she's woman. To You know, he could see in her essential equality of personhood, of humanness. And chapter one tells us very clearly that, you know, God made... Man, he made them male and female. So, you know, there, there is no sense of what, what we might term, if you're really technical, ontological inferiority. And what you ontos is the thought of being. There's no thought that that women are inferior as to their essential nature, as to their composition, as to their being. I mean, they're they're not even they're very often superior mentally they're superior in so many ways um so so uh, that's just not the way it's being looked at but when we're doing de- what we're dealing with here is role distinctions. so god has made these things and he has also fitted uh, women for instance to be more relational than men in many ways so so you'll find the relational elements of genesis chapter two come out men um have, have the ability to focus on a task, accomplish it, um, that, that that being their primary focus, as it were. Um, and so Adam is given care of the garden, and, and, and Eve is his helper to accomplish those ends, and also uh, in relation to children and so on. Um, uh, you can look at it in more detail yourself, but just to say, um, God makes men and women the way he makes them. They have equal worth and value essentially but he gives them different rules because he has different functions for them now this is not something that's new this is enshrined in the very godhead okay so the trinity is equal in essence there is one god equal um in a sense in essence but they, there are different rules seen within the Trinity and and there's a sense in which the father commands the son we find that um, when it comes to the story of redemption uh, you know uh, this is what my father has has commanded we, we read in John chapter 10 and, and so the, the son willingly does the will of the father and so this idea of, of firstness or, 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 or of leadership um, uh, and, and, and other rules are seen actually in the Trinity themselves if we can speak in, in such words. So, anyway, coming back to where we are now, uh, the, the ministry rule of women in the local church. Um, we'll, we'll read 1 Corinthians 14, the last little section, and then we'll ask a couple of questions about that. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, 14, uh, verse 34 to 40 we'll ask the Lord's presence as we read his word Father help us to understand your word be blessed by it and to be a blessing to others as we assimilate it and take it into our lives in the Lord's name, Amen for God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints let your women keep silence in these churches for they are not permitted to speak but they are to be submissive as also the law says They want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things I write to you are the commandment of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, we've already dealt with the tongues kind of side of things in some measure. Um, the questions I've asked, um, if you look at the, the handout, uh, under this section are as follows. What is the thought here of speaking? What, what exactly is he saying when he says a woman can't speak in the church? Uh, well, clearly he's including in it the idea of asking. Uh, and he's thinking uh, behind it even the thought of, of authority really that's the primary thought here Um let them ask their own husbands at home it's shameful shameful for the for a woman to speak in the church why is that so well, he tells them just a wee bit earlier let your woman keep silence in the church they're not permitted to speak but they are to be submissive as also the law says now so it seems to be that in Corinth the women we're taking a role that was a leadership role. It was a role of speaking authoritatively um, to other men that were there as well as women. And what Paul is saying is, no, no, that is not really the role in a local church that should be taken by women. So, for instance, women should not be elders. Uh, they should not have a pastoral role over men. That is not... The divine order. Um, teaching the word of God. In a public sense. Um, where where they are authoritatively. Uh, announcing it forth. Is not a role that, that. Seems open to them. In the word of God. Now. Some people at this point, and And sad to say. <laughs> I came across this even the other day. Somebody brought in the, the subject of, of, of Deborah. On a, in, in a, a Facebook post I think um, and they were trying to suggest that you know here's Deborah Deborah's an, uh, an example of a prophetess, there were prophetesses in the New Testament and so on, it is clear first of all that that was very unusual all the rest of the judges are not they're all male, it is also clear that Deborah had Barak and um, whom she kind of forced into the position of being the man in the role. It's also clear, another thing too, that um, you do not take a descriptive um, situation from judges to, to make it proscriptive for local church in the New Testament uh, or in New Testament era. You just don't do that. I mean, somebody else came back with a funny comment I thought he said, well i like the judge ehud now if you remember what ehud did he went in and he, and he stabbed um uh, the, the big the big fleshly king uh, eglon wasn't it um in in the stomach and, and and he died and all everything came out and all that it was you could go read the story and the point he was making without saying it he did it eloquently um he was just saying listen we can't just take a judge from judges, and and take from that a principle, on how we govern a local church and who should speak and who shouldn't speak in a local church. That's a misunderstanding of how you use scripture. There are descriptive passages, historical passages. There are proscriptive passages in the New Testament about church truth, and this is one of the proscriptive passages. And Paul says, "Listen. Don't be doing it." So, um. Not only that, um, it's worth saying, so, some, some would suggest, well, what you're doing is you're saying they're inferior, that women are inferior, that they're essentially inferior because they cannot They cannot teach. Now, I, I wouldn't have expected this argument to, be, to come really from the source it did come from, I'll be honest with you. Um, I mean, there's something very obviously wrong about that argument. Um, women are superior at cooking. But I'm. no one would suggest that, you know, in that sense, women are therefore ontologically, to use that word again, essentially superior to men. It's just not even a thinkable option uh, to, to, to equate the both. Everybody is good at certain things, not as good at others. Essential worth, essential character has nothing to do with whether you're good or not good at something. Um, so it's not saying that you couldn't find someone who was very good and able to give a speech who was a woman uh, or, or, or in that sense to teach in a private way. They might be excellent teachers to, to, to the younger sisters or to, to little children, whatever it is. Uh, there's, no, there's no doubt that there's a realm and there are some people that are very good at doing certain things. That is not how you decide whether you should do it or not. Not in a local church. You, you use the word of God that is prescriptive in this area and Paul is absolutely prescriptive as we're going to see in the next so the thought of, of speaking here is the thought of authoritatively uh, speaking in, in the context of teaching and learning as we can see from the context and so he says now listen um, the, really the, 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 it should be the home sphere that w- women ask questions about the word of God and therefore the men have a responsibility here to know their Bibles, to be able to answer the question that comes from from ladies and sisters in in the, in the realm of um, the home, um, the home sphere. Paul said that he he spoke, um, and he taught what he taught from house to house. So this is again, I think, emphasizing to is the importance of opening the Bible in the home and allowing for discussion and um whatnot in the home sphere and that's fine. When we come to local church it's different because there is a representative side to it. We are representing God's rules in his universe in a very specific sense um in in the in in the 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 local church in a public sense and God would have it that the meals speak and, and do the public teaching in that sense. So anyway, let's move on um Maybe we should stop at the thought of submission again. What is the thought of submission? I take it it's here um, mentioned to us um, verse number 34, but they are to be submissive. So there is a sense in which clearly that they were taking up a role of leadership that they shouldn't have been taking in Corinth. And they were not being submissive to the authority of, of the those who were... Um, called to leadership uh, in that local church and so they were not being submissive as the law says um, now what happened in genesis chapter 3 eve she moved out of her realm um, by making decisions that were not hers to make in that realm uh, she took of the fruit and gave to adam you see her leading adam and, and that's a dangerous thing and also Adam failed in that because Adam was with her when the whole thing happened he didn't step in and stop it from happening so Adam failed to guard the garden and failed to guard his wife failed to properly teach his wife perhaps but on the other hand Eve failed by moving out of her position of, of of submission and so that's the clear teaching of scripture on this issue Um. I asked another question. What does he mean by verse 36? Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only you that reached? This is one of the key verses in the New Testament on this subject, I think. And all these subjects. When someone moves away from what the, the word of God is saying. Uh, as a local church. when When someone or as a local church. Or any church body. Any group of Christians, if you like. Moves away from the word of God. The question that has to be asked to them is this. Did the Word of God come originally from you? Are you the source of the Word of God? Are you telling us that you've found something wherever you are, a new book of the Bible, something that tells you to do what you're doing against the Word of God? And of course they're not. So therefore they should submit to the Word of God. Um, The other thing is, or is it only you that are each? In other words, are you the sole recipients of the Word of God? (coughs) And Paul is almost being, I wouldn't say sarcastic, but there's an element of irony here. (coughs) Sorry about that. Uh, There's an element of irony. And and what Paul is doing, he's saying, listen, you just can't get away with that. You can't get away with um, dealing with the Word of God like this. The Word of God comes to a local church. We bow to it. And we conform ourselves. We don't act as though we're the only recipients of the word of God. We don't um, go against the word of God. And, and, and try to pretend in some way that we are the source of, of new revelation. Not at all. It's not the realm of, of a local church to, to do that. And so that, that teaches a lot of things about the relationship between the, the word of God and the local church. As uh, I can refer you back I think it was to the um, The second study. For more detail on that very subject, so anyway, let's move to First Timothy chapter two. I'm going to split these um, podcasts. Um, I've decided after all that that's a better way to do it in the middle of this podcast. Um, we'll do. We'll finish this, um, and then we'll we'll deal very briefly with discipline in the local church in the second podcast. First Timothy chapter two. I exhort you first of all. That supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was Appointed a preacher and an apostle. And I'm speaking the truth in Christ, not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now let's pause there for a second. Paul saying, listen, we should, pray, we should pray for all people. Because God desires a blessing of all people. And Christ has died so that all people might be blessed. Okay, that's more or less where we've come to. And he says, I was appointed uh, as a preacher and a, apostle of this very message. A message that goes out to all. And therefore... Be thoughtful, be prayerful for all people, even for those in authority. I don't think anyone's beyond the reach of, of God. And yet he's got this realm of prayer that he started speaking about. You know, he, he said, uh, supplication, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks should be made for all men. OK, and now he's going to say, how can we do that in a public way? He says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting or disputing. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but that which is proper for a woman professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be silent. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self control. Now, um I'll maybe read um verse number eight in ESV um or maybe it's verse number nine. Yeah. In in like manner also the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and or pearls Costly array. Okay, that's enough. Um, we'll think about that just for a minute. Notice um, what is prescribed for men. I desire, therefore, that the men, and that's the word for meals, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting or wrath, and disputing the word actually for. Or doubting and disputing is, is kind of it's the same words just used in different ways like we'll I have in English um you know you can be sort of conflicted whether that's externally in the sense of of disputing with someone else or you can be conflicted inside that's the thought of doubting um In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now that's interesting, in like manner also, um, what should the women do? In other words, it's this realm of public prayer that's being spoken about. Uh, The men have to take lead in that public prayer. Um, But the women are to uh, to adorn themselves in modest apparel. Uh, It's the word for cosmos. Um, arrange themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self control. Um, this is interesting. Um, you know the men are to be without wrath and disputing, without that anger. They're lifting up holy hands. Um, thought you know in those days people would have lifted up their hands open towards heaven. That was the normal posture. It seems, and to say basically. You're requesting off God. You're also um, showing your hands are clean almost. So you're lifting up these holy hands. It's not the thought that you need to lift up hands. It's that that's been emphasized here. It's more the thought that that you're ha- you should be free from anything that's wrong and defiling. So when the men are praying, they shouldn't be involved in sin in any other area of their life um, that's unconfessed. And also they should not be angry or, or or argumentative. Or it could be the thought of, of doubting, doubting that God can meet their needs. Um, I, I suspect it's more the thought disputing because it links in with wrath. Um, so so here's the idea that, that you have to have the right attitude. You have to have the right moral character to come into God's presence. And also you can't be uh, at odds with your brother or your sister. Um, even when you're doing it in a public way. Uh, so the men are to take that public role of prayer as well as, as teaching. And like men also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, you'll notice actually the or there really is can be rendered and not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly clothing. It seems to be what they did was braid their hair with, you know, great gold um, sort of running through their hair. So this was this was a style, as it were, of, of ostentation and wealth and, and, and drawing attention to yourself. So not to be like that. It's not saying it's wrong to have plaited hair. So so to speak, uh, or pearls um, is, again, the thought of wealth and extravagance or costly clothing. um. So here, rather to be modestly apparelled, with propriety and modesty. So so it's, the stress is not so much on uh, covering up so that you're not sexually um, in some way suggestive, which would be wrong. We know that's wrong. There's plenty of scripture tell tells that. You know, Proverbs 6, those kind of passages. um. It, it includes that but it goes further than that you know but to have some sort of um big statement that you're making from your clothing um would, would be not modest uh, very wealthy clothing whatever it is so just just to mention you know so there should be modesty and there should not be a focus on on the woman's clothing so so her clothes or what what she looks i mean I, I hannah is three years old as you know and I mean, she's so interested in clothing. Isaac's more interested in, in having a fight with Daddy. You know that that's just the distinction that we see in the roles between men and women as a norm. It's not every man, every woman. That's the problem, but he's just lifting the main problems that can come out. You know, a woman could go along and be more worried about how she's looking than the fact she's coming to pray. Uh, but rather which is proper first ten for a woman professing godliness with good work. So her arrangement should be with the, her character of life, the good work she does, and then she goes on. It goes on. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now this is a different word for silence. This is the word for quietness. So the, this is not so much saying that that she can't speak that in in a public way. <laughs> Uh, it's more speaking about the attitude of her heart and how she speaks, um, or, or how she, she learns. So so it's to do with a restful quietness, a, a, you know, a right attitude that's not resentful and, and always going against. Um, I do not permit a woman to teach her of authority or man, but to be silenced. So th- this is interesting because... Really what it's saying is that, that there should be a, a willing submission. that this is not to be a kind of resentful I just close my mouth because the Bible says it, but and, and once once um that is conquered, we, we have to understand that, that the Lord took a place of submission in coming. So you can follow Christ in this. This is really important to understand. The Lord, yes, took a place of leadership in certain aspects and so on. He's the head of the body and so on he's the, he's the head of every man it tells in chapter 11 for Corinthians but here we remember when he was here he took the submissive place he was submissive to his parents to his father uh, to the bars of B. he was submissive to all these things and and he willingly took that and so there's a Christ-like way of being in authorities there's a quite Christ-like way of being in submission and in this realm of teaching and uh, the local church um, God wants to see um, sisters, um, Christian ladies, show that beautiful characteristics. Um, you know you'll remember, Peter in First Peter, uh, is in chapter three. He puts it, um, something similar, and we remember this is another apostle speaking now. He says, "Wise, be submissive to your own husbands." Uh, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, it's not saying that you never speak to your husband about the gospel. It's saying that they should be able to look at you, and if, if you had a husband that was not a believer, and maybe got saved, uh, they should be able to look at you, and, and they see your conduct is so changed. They observe your chaste conduct accompanied by respect, or um, maybe your respectful and pure conduct, the ESV has it. Um do not let your adornment be mainly outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold or putting on a fine of a par apparel. Don't don't let it be merely outward. Actually the word just means don't don't let it be outward. In other words, your focus, your adornment, the thing that really special to you that you're showing to people is not to be that kind of outward thing of just wanting to look in a certain way. It's not to be that at all. It's very strong not actually here. Uh, but rather it is to be the hidden person of the heart with incorruptible beauty of a gent and quiet spirit, spirit which is very prescient inside of God. In other words, what what God wants to see um being demonstrated through these things, whether it's the man taking a role of leadership, it's to be leadership as under God, it's to be um he has to take his responsibility seriously of teaching, whether it be in the home or in the assembly, or wherever he has to take those seriously because God has called him to that, and and the lady has to take seriously her role of of yes, learning scripture, yeah, um, and learning from. Of course, we we all need to learn. We all need every one of us, and, and you can reference uh, Colin Priscilla how how they, they they, brought aside that great man of Paul and taught him more perfectly, but it was a who then became the teacher in the in the local assembly sphere of first, uh, in, in Corinth. So, I, I'm I'm just saying that. There is nothing wrong with learning from, whether it be sisters, I mean, all of us have done it. But what the Lord is saying, I take it, is that when it comes to a place of public authority and so on, uh, the woman has to take the submissive place and the subject place. And, and that is hard. This is very counterculture. Um, it doesn't affect her equality or her brains, or or anything, but God has a very beautiful role for a woman to play, which is the submissive role, role, and to do it in a way that honors God is is a very liberating thing. If you know the truth, the Lord says the truth will set you free, and so I'll stop there, and we'll we'll pick up um in a minute or two, um with the discipline in the local church. I'm only going to have a few minutes in that, but. Um, <clears throat>